0: Protecting your assets for the next generation, you're listening to The Strong Room, a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 770 CHQR. Welcome to The Strong Room. I'm Peter Watts. On behalf of the Macmillan Estate Planning Group, a very happy New Year to you. I hope over the course of the holiday season, as your family has gathered, there's been an opportunity to talk about life planning, to get the new year off to a productive start. You know, in some ways, a life plan involves more than just an individual. It becomes something of a family plan, because few of us live in isolation. Everything we plan for, from lifestyle to healthcare to legacy, impacts not just ourselves, but those around us. We begin this new year with a conversation with Macmillan Estate Planning Chief Executive, Sherry Macmillan. Who needs an estate plan?
1: You know, I feel, of course, Peter, I'm a little biased as an estate planner. I think all of us need an estate plan. However, I would suggest to you that families that have an asset base of, let's say, seven figures, a million or more, are definitely candidates because they have a lot to risk when they're wealth transferring. And as we've progressed as a country, we have created more and more affluence. Some people will think, well, I'm not a millionaire, but it's actually easy to become a millionaire today in modern society. We have, you know, the cost of your home, especially, let's say, in a city like Calgary. Um, you might have a little pension, some RSPs, maybe you have one rental property, you start adding it up and very quickly you do have a net worth of a million or more and so I always say to those families once you start to create this kind of affluence you have a lot to protect, a lot of tax contemplation to give consideration to and a lot of complications in your estate because the larger estate is, the more chance you have of having various jurisdictions attached to your estate so let's say you have cottage in BC not just your Alberta estate, well now you have two estates or let's say your children have moved into the well, now you have U.S. inheritance issues. So in modern society, it has become more complex, regardless of the net worth that we have, just due to our life circumstances and the kinds of assets that we're holding.
0: So there are some groups that are, that are obvious. Uh, families that have created a sizable estate. Business owners, small, medium, or large, or otherwise. Anybody that owns any kind of a business at all needs a life plan to... Talk about protecting assets, maximizing wealth, and minimizing tax. Families with conflict, addiction issues, and disabilities. The old story about peace in the family, about family harmony, all covered off there that needs a plan to go with it. Families with cottages or recreational properties. The rules are different in different parts of the country than they are here in Alberta. Families that re- recreate, work, or reside all or part of the year outside the province, perhaps outside the country, perhaps in the U.S. And I think increasingly with your client base perhaps in other countries as well need to know what the rules are need to have a plan in place to make sure you don't get caught in a surprise that could be pretty costly
1: that's right peter and timely right now of course as many families are snowbirding this time of year and so one of the cautions I always share with families is really know your stuff in this area because the IRS is not uh, forgiving if you don't know the rules. They're going to tax your entire estate and that might sound scary for a Canadian that's only snowbirding and think how is that even possible but they have some really rigid rules in estates and that is that you really don't want to spend more than a consecutive window of time being more than 121 days per calendar year. Now they use the analogy of you're a snowbird if you're less than 183 days. And that confuses people because it's not 183 days straight up. It's actually a formula based on the last few years. So the challenge is for most of us, um, we've got this in the back of our mind or we've heard whispers of it. It's sort of a myth. And I think it's a great marketing toy of the IRS because if you think it's 183 days and spend 183 days and then you get caught out in your estate and owe you know, 40, 45% of your estate in tax, that's been very good underlying message coming out to us. It actually is not that straightforward. It's more like 121 days if you want to stay within the black and white zone of do you owe U.S. inheritance tax. So for my snowbirds in the winter, one of the challenges is that they hear all these mixed messages from accountants and friends and neighbors, and they're not really sure how it applies. Now, obviously, Peter, if you have a $5,000 estate, it's irrelevant to you. But if you have a $50 million estate, it's exceptionally relevant to you if you're going to lose 40 or 45% of it.
0: Particularly when the IRS, which doesn't accept uh, forgiveness rather than permission, decides that it can prosecute for your Canadian assets, never mind just whatever you might own in the United States.
1: That's right. And one of the things that's been unfolding, because they need to collect taxes, it's not a secret. um, One of the things that has been unfolding in the United States is they're going to allow us to spend more time under immigration. But that's a completely separate set of laws pertaining to estates. And so one of the challenges is, you know, I might read, okay, if I buy a home worth a certain value, I can spend nine months a year. Well, that's really good for them because now what you've done is not only will you owe estate tax, you actually owe them annual tax. Now, imagine if you still have a business here in Canada and you're owing them what we call an imputed tax rate on earnings you haven't even taken out of the company and having to pay it down in the United States. So, you know, I always share with families when you're giving contemplation uh, to purchasing recreational property and we're a firm supporter of it. We just have to do it right and we have to follow the parameters that the governments allow us to play in. One of my favorite lawyers I've worked with through the years, he always used to use this analogy, Peter, and I think it was so accurate. He would say, you know, if you want assets or children living down in the US and you want to also be Canadian, it's like you're trying to play two games at once, Scramble and Monopoly, and you're mixing up all the pieces and then trying to sort it. And it truly has become that complex, unfortunately. So you have to pursue professional advice to make sure you you're doing it appropriately.
0: The basic principles of every good estate or life plan are built around maximizing wealth, protecting assets, and minimizing tax.
1: Protecting assets has become much more relevant in the last few years because of the way the economy has behaved. And, you know, nobody was sheltered from how the economy has behaved. And nobody has been sheltered from the government changes that we've experienced. And so when we've crafted our estate, we're endeavoring to lean upon it as our lifestyle for the future. We we assume that's what it's going to do. That's why we worked so hard to create it. And so these monkey wrenches that are being thrown into the mix over the last few years, you know, have scared most of us, truthfully. And so we're all looking for that assurity that what we have built will remain with us so that it will protect us through those decades of lifestyle that we have to cover off in the years ahead. And being that we're living much longer, it's not just anymore, you know, a couple of decades that that wealth has to protect you. It, it can be four and five decades. They actually have studies in this area and they say we'll often spend more time in our retirement phase of life than we will in our working career. So, you know, that's a dramatic difference from our history. So protection has become at the forefront, I would say. And, you know, especially even moving into the younger generation of the baby boom, they're saying, well, I might inherit value from my parents, but I don't want to lose it. I want to know that it's there for our benefit, for our elder care. And then I want to transfer it. What's remaining to the family without paying that undue tax. So that's a really important facet, I think, for all of us. And then the next one you mentioned is maximizing our wealth. So this is interesting because not only do you want to mitigate your tax, but when you mitigate your tax, you actually naturally maximize your wealth. And often people don't think of them as correlated, but they're dramatically correlated. So. You know, if you can design your estate where it's tax effective every calendar year, well, that maximizes your wealth because you're keeping more of it to compound upon itself over the decades. And so we actually approach it upside down. We approach it from how can we save you tax each calendar year so that your wealth is maximized.
0: Rural property owners have some special reasons to consider in building an estate or life plan. Macmillan Legal Counsel Henry Villanueva joins the conversation now to help share that part of the
2: story. One family we met where. Uh, The parents have been farming the land for quite a substantial number of years, and uh, the children group uh, would like to help with the farm, but they would also like to continue on with their careers. We had a deep talk with the children and found out that they were not actually interested in the farm altogether, but were interested in actually leasing out the land for, uh, for solar panels or for electric facilities. Having talked to the parents, we told them that this is what the children wanted to do for their parents' property, but uh, their parents were concerned with whether or not the land would be dealt properly and that whether or not the income would be uh, substantial enough. Uh, These are the points that you have to consider when providing for a generational plan for, for example, farm families. You have to make sure that uh, the parent group will still have sufficient income and whether or not the plan of the kids on how to deal with the farmland would be appropriate in such instance as well. It's not as easy as just leasing the land out. There's many factors to consider, including the land itself, how uh, the the city or the municipality um, regulates the use of the land, as well as commercial contracts involved third parties, which would provide for uh, the solar panels or the electric facilities.
0: I think municipal bylaws are a pretty important part of all of this. Uh, there are lots of families with holdings on the perimeter of our communities. We know we're becoming more urban. We know that somebody can look at a quarter section of land and say, that's my retirement because I'm going to sell it to a developer. Um, and and uh, be able to live off the proceeds. Um, that may not necessarily be what the municipality really wants. It might. Uh, or in the case of southern Alberta, there may be a water issue that that would preclude, um, you know, a full development of that piece of property.
1: One of the real issues in family farm is often the in-laws because in order to keep the operation moving forward, we certainly can't be dividing it in the event someone in the family experiences a divorce. And so this is a real risk to family farm operations. And so one of the primary things that we're also looking at in protecting a family farm is that we are protecting the family farm for the bloodline only. And so if the... Couples remain married for their entire lifespan. Of course, they benefit because the farm um, is part of their lifestyle. But if they were to leave their partner or divorce, we don't want the farm operation broken up because it won't continue to succeed. So the real issue for family farm is often that bloodline protection and protecting it from one generation to the next.
0: Are farms and ranches unique? because of the fact that it's land as opposed to a restaurant or a grocery store or, you know, a a manufacturing facility?
1: I would suggest that family farm is often what we would call cash poor. So they continually reinvest the profits that they do make from the farm operation into buying more equipment, perhaps buying more land and the expansion of the operation. So frequently when they're doing a wealth transfer or they're going into retirement, their challenge is often that they don't have enough cash flow in order to make the retirement a decent lifestyle. And yet, in order to keep the operating business as a going concern, we can't sell off land or we won't have enough land to make profit.
0: And we'll have more on good estate planning for you in a moment on The Strong Room on 770 CHQR.